This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 169. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Well, today we're going to talk about single malt whiskey made in America. Usually when you think of single malt, you think of Scotland, right? But uh, we talked with Matt Hoffman, who's the co-founder and master distiller at Seattle's Westland Distillery. Westland has actually become America's leading producer of American single malt whiskey, and uh, it's won lots of awards. And we'll talk to Matt shortly. First, let's do our book of the week. It's Tasting Whiskey, an insider's guide to the unique pleasures of the world's finest spirits by Lou Bryson and forward by David Wondridge. And this is a great book, uh, a lot of history about whiskey, about uh, how to taste whiskey, about how it's produced. And it's a big help in your whiskey journey to understand how things are made and uh, really get into uh, how, to, how to taste it, how to, how to pick out different flavors, the differences between different types of whiskey. So I think you'll enjoy that if you get on over to bartenderjourney.net on the post thing that goes along with this show number 169 you'll see the uh, you'll see a link to it a link to amazon and anytime you use one of those amazon links on bartenderjourney.net you'll be helping out the show a little bit whether you buy that book or something else in that sort of session when you click through uh, from bartenderjourney.net on an amazon link you'll be helping out the show just a little bit don't worry it doesn't cost you any extra well let's do a cocktail of the week since we're talking about whiskey this week let's talk about the penicillin cocktail that's uh, sort of a modern classic uh, invented by Sam Ross. Sam Ross is uh, an Australian bartender, and he moved to New York, and uh, he worked at Milk and Honey, Little Branch, Pegu Club, and now at Attaboy, where he's uh, co-CEO, is how he describes himself on his Facebook page. I actually haven't uh, had the pleasure of meeting the man, but uh, and uh, unfortunately I haven't been to Attaboy yet, but I'll get there. And uh, But he, he created this drink, the Penicillin Cocktail. There's a few different recipes uh, you can find for it. Um, this one is uh, fairly straightforward and uh, not too crazy. Some of them call for ginger liqueur and things like that, which uh, can be maybe don't have that behind your bar or at home so uh i like this recipe not too difficult to reproduce it's two ounces of a blended scotch whiskey three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice three quarters of an ounce of honey syrup uh, which is like simple syrup just made with honey so you could do uh, one-to-one uh, honey and warm water and make a syrup out of that and uh, make sure that it all gets dissolved nicely and uh, two to three quarter size slices of fresh ginger and then uh, for a floater we're going to do a quarter ounce of a very smoky single malt scotch whiskey so uh, we will muddle that uh, fresh ginger in the shaker uh, I would add a little of that syrup along with that and uh, muddle it again, add the rest of the ingredients, the uh, blended scotch whiskey and the lemon juice, not not the smoky scotch whiskey for the float. We're going to shake that up, strain it into an ice-filled rocks glass and float that the uh, other whiskey, the, uh, the smoky single malt on top. Mm-mm, good stuff. All right, we're going to talk to Matt Hoffman in just a minute, master distiller and co-founder of Westland Distillery. Uh, but first, uh, remember last week I was talking about how many hours I had spent on my feet behind the bar, uh, about uh, over 55 hours last week and uh, close to the same this week. And I was talking last week about how much my feet just hurt so much. So uh, I ordered two pairs of shoes from Shoes for Cruise. And I uh, got those, and uh, I must say they're, it's better. It hasn't solved the problem 100%, but uh, definitely better. And uh, I'll have a link for that as well. You can get $10 off your first order at shoesforcruise.com if you click through from uh, bartenderjourney.net, and you, you'll see that link. So uh, that's 
$10 off your first order. So, uh, the sho- yeah, the shoes are better. You know, I think uh, a big part of the problem is you tend to wear shoes, you know, and you have your work shoes, and you say, oh, I don't really want to spend $100 on shoes for work because that's like, you know, if you made a $150 in tips the night before, you know, that's uh, two-thirds of it went to pay for a new pair of shoes for work. That You know, that sucks. But uh, you got to do it. And uh, I just, I actually ordered two pairs, and uh, it's actually, I've heard it's good to alternate shoes. You know, don't wear the same set of shoes every night. In fact, I heard from a friend who she said her uh, podiatrist told her it's great to change your shoes halfway through your shift if you're going to be on your feet that long. So that's something to think about. I do like to uh, change my socks halfway through. Uh, A little gross, but my feet get kind of sweaty and uh, it's really uncomfortable. So when I have a chance uh, halfway through the shift, I like to uh, change the socks and uh, maybe I'll think about changing the shoes as well. Of course, uh, when we talk about the comfort of standing up for long periods of time, we got to talk about those mats. So the mats on the floor, the rubber mats, are definitely a big help. And uh, some some are better than others. Uh, they have those really squishy ones that are uh, the black ones that are solid. Uh, you don't see them behind the bars very often, but you see those ones with the big holes in them. They're kind of around at all, at all kinds of bars and restaurants. And uh, they uh, are also kind of gross and need to be washed a lot. But <laughs> anyway, they do help uh, quite a bit and and uh, the alternative of standing just on a floor you know depending on how hard that floor is if uh, what if it's stone or tile oh very uncomfortable so uh yeah if you don't have mats convince management that you need them and that'd be my advice doing a little bit of research here i found on the osha website uh, a document that's called stay safe in the restaurant and uh, not too much about standing in there a little bit, but um, I'll, I'll put a link to that as well so you can read through that. And uh, that OSHA, you know, is, is in place to uh, guarantee workplace safety for uh, in, in America. And, uh, you know, there are some resources there if you really are having a problem. I've had that, I had, you know, how you have the um, little app on your phone that can track how many steps you do. Well, uh, one day last week, uh, we did two events, and, you know, one of them was out, they were both outside. And uh, anyway, point is, I put in um, just over 21,000 steps in a day. And uh, according to my phone, that's equal to walking 10 miles. So (laughs) that's the kind of uh, pressure, you know, you're putting on your body, or at least I am. (laughs) So, uh, you know, things to consider. Uh, Can't do that forever, especially if you're not in uh, ideal situations, having proper shoe wear and having mats, etc. So uh, something to think about. All right, let's talk to Matt from Westland Distillery. Yeah, so we were saying uh, the, the term single malt's kind of confusing. In fact, you're using five different malts, right? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> you know that's for especially for for beer people saying you have a single malt and single hop beer. That means something different. That means you just use one type of malt. You know, we have a lot of people who are interested in what we're doing from uh, you know who who are brewers or or home brewers mm-hmm. because of that that focus on malts. I mean, our our way of looking at it was single malt. You know, that's all about producing with malted barley at one distillery. Uh, it's not really common, but, you know, a few of them you know, will make peated malt at this time of year, or then they'll make something out of pale malt. So it's not like they're always producing the same thing, you know, month in, month out. And then mm-hmm. there's countries like Japan where that's actually all that they do. You know, they purposely change things in terms of the production process. So there's a little bit of a variation in their stock so they can blend with it. We're kind of, we're kind of somewhere mm. in the middle. And our, mm-hmm. our big focus initially was on, was on malt itself. And we looked at it 
from this perspective of well, so I was you know a little bit of background on me. I was uh, classically trained in Scottish whiskey making, hmm. but I also had this you know this kind of approach from the Pacific Northwest mindset, which is well, why do we have to use only pale malt, which is what is used in Scotland, pale malt and peated malt? You know, the brewers around us here in the U.S. they're using all types of different malts. You know, they're mm. using mm-hmm. roasted malts and lightly kiln malts and all sorts of fun stuff. So why can't we apply that to whiskey making? And there's, there's no rule against it. It's right. just that there's, you know, well, one, if you're in Scotland, don't mess with success. <laughs> you know, you've got yeah. right now. <laughs> um, but two, there's just also, you know, there's, there's a cultural weight and, and the, the history, which I, I think, you know, makes it harder to change rapidly. I think they're certainly going to be pursuing those things. But for us, uh, not just at Westland, but for American single malt whiskey as a category, we can dive straight into that and move as fast as, as we want to um, mm. because there isn't any cultural restrictions or, or, or history that we have to be mindful of. Um, is there a legal descript- Is there a legal definition in the United States of a single malt? No, there American isn't. It's, it's something that I'd, that I'd love to get knocked out. 2016 is going to be a, a fun year for us as a category because these are things we're going to start – you know, bringing together and talking about these sorts of things because now there's enough of us where you know if there's I I think there's almost as many distilleries in the United States producing a single malt of some form or another as there are in Scotland. It's got to be getting pretty really? close at this point. Oh yeah, there's just I mean there's seven eight hundred distilleries in the United States. Um, a lot of people are making single malt. There's really nobody else doing it to the scale and with a hundred percent commitment like we are. Mm-hmm. But you know. There are people who make it as part of a portfolio of, of things. Um, you know, they wouldn't classify themselves as a American single malt distillery like we do. Right. Um, but that's something we look forward to yeah. to having one day is to have a, a kind of a legal definition for what that what that means. I've heard that working with malted barley is uh, a little trickier than uh, other grains, and uh, it can be hard to get a consistent product sometimes. The way that malt is viewed, not just in Scotland, but in kind of um, – call it the big malt industry in the United States as well, um, is that you want the malt to be consistent, right? You want the malt to taste the same year in, year out, month in, month out. And it's different from, you know, say winemaking where you highlight those vintage characteristics. Right. And in the malting process, you can do that. If you have a, a warmer year, like, you know, for example, the 2015 growing season for barley in Washington state, this was a warm year for us. But, you know, a skilled maltster, when they malt the grain, can kind of eliminate some of the the variation between what happened in 2015 and 2014. And that's what happens. Mm -hmm. And typically those get blended together. You know, it just kind of depends on the release throughout the throughout the year. I mean, malting is a year round thing, you know, where that whereas that differs from winemaking. Um, Mm -hmm. You you can malt anytime throughout the year. But one of the big things actually that we're pushing on is. Again, kind of coming back to, to, to that original question of, well, why do we have to do things in a certain way? You know, one of the things that we'd love to do, and in fact are already doing and have been for the past couple of years, is working with local farmers and local maltsters to get barley and malt it in such a way that we can highlight those vintage characteristics. And mm-hmm. not just highlight those vintage characteristics, but also to highlight field-to-field variation in the same way that you'd see that in the world of wine, you know, different AVAs or, or different uh, estates. Yeah. Um, and then also different varietals. I mean, that's that's not done either yeah, um, yeah. In, in terms of, of barley, with the exception of uh, Brook Lottie, really. 
who's trying to do it but exists in this system that isn't really set up for it, there's a new wave of not just distillers but of maltsters and, and farmers in the United States, and in particular here in Washington State, who, if we work together, we can go, great, you know, this farmer wants to plant this varietal of barley, you know, it doesn't meet the recommended requirements list posted by the, you know, American Malted Barley Association, but that's okay because the flavor is going to be great. And so we'll, we'll buy that barley knowing that it might yield less, but that's okay. We can still make great whiskey out of it. What's involved with being a maltster? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> a lot of stuff, <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuff. Malting is, malting is a, uh, is a really fascinating process. Um, yeah. and that's, that's what of course separates, uh, malt whiskey from, from the other whiskeys besides just the barley is, is that the grain is not just barley, but it's malted barley, which changes things pretty dramatically. Um, I mean, the functional difference is that you're, you're developing enzymes within the grain, which will convert the starch in the grain into sugar in the mashing process. So all whiskeys and all beers need to have some malt added to them so that they can convert those starches into sugars. But you've also got a couple of other cool things that happen during the malting process. Uh, you're freeing up a lot of the compounds within the grain, uh, which are the precursors for a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. So you know, to, to get pretty heavy into the chemistry here for a second, you know, we've got proteins um, and a little bit of starch you know, being broken down by these enzymes during the malting process. And when we apply heat to those, they can come together and create flavor. It's something called the Maillard reaction. Um, that's something that you see, you know, anytime you take bread and convert that into toast, it's toast doesn't mm. taste like hot bread. It tastes like something different. Mm. Um, that's because of that reaction. So anytime you bake something or, you know, cook anything with, with a little bit of starch or protein in it, which is a lot of things, uh, you see this reaction. And this is the whole premise behind, uh, you know, these, these roasted malts that we use. It's... If you roast raw barley, you just kind of get like a roast coffee flavor. Okay. But if you roast malted barley or kiln dry it in a certain way, now Mm. you can specifically develop nuttiness or chocolate or pastry or marshmallow or, you know, there's all of these things that you can do all of a sudden because Mm -hmm. you can really utilize all of the potential flavor that's in that grain. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's a maltster's job is to take the barley that they've got, you know, they're going to make usually something called a pale malt, which is to, to not have too much of those roast flavors. But also they want to create different types of roasted malted barley, which will create different uh, you know, kind of colors on the palate, so to speak, from which you can create a different flavor profile in a beer and now in whiskey. Mm. And that's, that's been the way that malters have approached it. And that's why they've always approached it with, okay, the barley needs to be the same. It needs to be the same varietal. The Basic levels of the malting process need to be the same, but we're seeing a pretty big revolution here in the United States in terms of the way that people approach malting, you know, to, to approach malting, to, to highlight, you know, the essence of a vintage or something like that. That's a really new concept. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that we're doing here in the United States faster than they're doing it in Scotland. Another name for malting is germination, right? Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. I mean, malting is... Um, is, is the industry term for it, but it's germination, it's sprouting, it's, you know, that's, that's all that's happening. The grain is brought out of dormancy via adding water and thinks it's springtime, so great. It begins to grow for three or four days, mm-hmm. and then it's uh, kind of just brought back into dormancy. It, it gets dried out again, and, and it stops. Okay. So then uh, peat is another thing we should talk about. Yes, yes. Peat's, peat's pretty awesome. So peat, I mean, peated malt whiskey is, is the origin 
of all whiskeys. And this is because when they were when they were making that malted grain to get that drying process, they looked for whatever fuel source was readily available in Eastern Ireland and Western Scotland. And that fuel source is is peat, which is you mm-hmm. know decaying bog material, typically moss. And so that flavor that we get from peat is not because they were trying to make a peat flavored whiskey. Right. It's because that's the only way that they could dry the grain. It's right. kind of in the same vein of, you know, when people barbecue, you know, a true, true barbecue, and you have these differences in flavor between hickory or oak or applewood. Mm. Um, but the origin of those, you know, the reason why you're using those woods is, is to cook the, cook the meat. You know, same basic process here. Uh, it's the secondary byproduct of, of malting the grain is you get these unique flavors in peat. Now, that process has been around for obviously a very long time, but it used to be that all distilleries in Scotland practiced peating. And because they had to. Over the past couple hundred years, there's now indirect air kilns and things where you, you know you don't need to use a direct heat source like peat anymore. So it's really mm-hmm. the the most traditional distilleries that have hung on to them. And when we looked at making malt whiskey here, you know one of the the big things that we identified right away is climate wise, we've got a, we've got a ton of peat bogs here in the, the greater Western Washington area. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, the climate which is conducive to growing barley in a certain way is you know, also conducive to peat bog formation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of, it's funny how, how all the pieces fit into place. So we've been, you know, over this really long period trying to develop, you know, Washington state peated malt. And, and we're actually pretty happy to announce that we've made the, well, with our malting partners, made the first batch of Washington state peated malt with both Washington state peat and Washington state grain. Um, and we will see that made into a whiskey sometime in 2016 and released as a as a finished whiskey, you know, sometime mm-hmm. 2019, 2020. Cool. Yeah. Well, you give uh, very detailed notes on in your booklet here about the distilling process, the distillery specifications, you call them. I think that's that's great that you're so uh, transparent about your process. And, you know, I think people appreciate it and they want it, and they're interested to, to know it. Yeah, we, we have this philosophy of. Well, one, the industry needs more transparency, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, but two, if we were to try to keep a secret, that just strikes me as we're not doing our job to push things forward enough. Yeah. You know, like if we're worried about somebody getting our top secret recipe, which is, of course, not a top secret anymore because we tell literally everybody about it. You know, if that's our thing and if we're worried that somebody's going to come in and take that and then destroy Westland with it, I mean, like that just that just means we're running the company wrong. Right. Um, you know, so we we're going to keep pushing forward. And the more we give that stuff away, two things are going to happen. Well, one of three things will happen is the way that we look at it. One, somebody's going to come in and this is 99 percent of people who, who we have this conversation with. And they're going to hear about all of the technical details and they're going to go, that's awesome because people love the fact that we discuss technical details. People love to learn how things are made. People love the transparency and they have a, you know, a great experience and we have a great time talking about it. Yeah. You know, the other two options are one, somebody copies us or somebody learns about the process, then starts a malt whiskey distillery, but wants to put their own twist on it. So maybe they're not using the exact type of roasted malts we use. Mm-hmm. but they apply that in a different method. Now, all of a sudden, that means we've got a regional style developing, and that's, that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. And the, yeah. the third option is even if somebody tried to do a direct ripoff of what we're doing, they, they can't. That's kind of one of the, the yeah. beautiful things about you know, whiskey making is, and the particular approach that we have, which is that even if you bought the same equipment as us and everything, you know, 
there's all of these like tiny, tiny little things that you just don't have control over, um, whether it's the climate in, in our Hoquiam warehouses, which are 15 miles from the rainforest or, you know, it's all these things that make our whiskey what it is. If you take our recipe and copy it and do it in California, it's a totally different product, totally different yeah. product. Yeah, yeah. And the other, the other thing is that we're five years ahead of everybody else. You know? <laughs> so, you know, if you want to copy us, okay, but... Uh, well, it's just like even making cocktails, you know, everybody's going to you know, follow following the same recipe. They'll each taste a little bit different, you know? Right. That's, that's kind of our approach to things. And some people gasp when we tell them that, you know, when we're willing to divulge so much information, but I mean, it just, it just makes such easy sense to us. It's so yeah. obvious. Well, I love your um, tasting wheel. It's great. Would it be okay if I scan this and put it on my website? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't mind at all. We actually made uh, that, that tasting wheel originally, um, in-house so that was supposed to be just for us and mm-hmm. with the the roasted malts we're using the belgian yeast the new oak we were getting some you know flavor profiles that wouldn't be that weren't properly defined on a traditional whiskey tasting wheel you know, especially mm-hmm. these um these rich kind of dessert like notes that we grouped into a category called gourmand um on the tasting wheel and they were you know at some point we started showing them to people in the tasting room people go oh that's awesome can we have those yeah 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 of course <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, we, I think it's a, it's a cool thing to put out there and let everybody have access to. Yeah, it's great. What would you say? I'm tasting now the, um, the, uh, well, the American single malt whiskey. Right. So which, which, which flavors do you, do you get out of this? So this for me is, this is kind of all of our most progressive whiskey making ideas rolled into one. So this is where this we use all that five malt recipe that have all those roasted malts in it. So you're going to get a lot of what I, what I get is a like freshly made waffle cone um, mm. right off the bat. Um, but you've also got this new American Oak element. Uh, so you have these kind of caramel and vanilla notes that, that you'd find familiar um, you know, for bourbon drinkers. And so now you've got your waffle cone and it's, it's filled with a vanilla pistachio ice cream. Mm. Um, and then you've got the, the Belgian yeast component, um, which adds this, you know, very nice, like orange peel, which is to me that's the that's I think the first ester that I get, the first fruity note that I get, is this kind of flamed orange peel. But then you get you get into cherry notes, kind of darker cherries, um, and then chocolate. I mean that's kind of the chocolate, especially as it sits and evolves in the glass. You kind of get this you know seventy percent cocoa, um, you know, dark chocolate type type of effect. And the cool thing about it is you know, we're we don't chill filter any of our whiskeys. Or 46% ABV. So you can just put the whiskey out there and, and let it evolve over the course of half an hour, yeah. even without water additions or anything like that. It's pretty dynamic whiskey. No, yeah, it's great. It, actually, this has been in the glass for about half an hour. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it does open up, you know, just like a wine. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, let's see, we also have the, uh, the sherry wood, which I haven't tried yet. Sure. So the, the sherry wood is our take on, you know, it's, it's the Westland take on, on that what's now kind of considered the Speyside style of, of maturation, mm-hmm. even though most distilleries in Scotland do it. Speyside is, is where it's most famous. Sherry cast maturation has a really long history in Scotland in the same way that, that peating does. But it's a, it's a funny thing because it was originally done because everybody was drinking sherry and they had a mm. bunch of sherry casks lying around. Well, great, let's, <laughs> let's put the whiskey in those. But now, every, you know... Put every, those barrels to work. Right, so, but everything, is, everything has changed. You know, the demand for sherry casks to mature a whiskey is higher than the demand for the sherry wine itself. <laughs> right. So people can go out and they can get great sherry, and that's 
basically because people make sherry so they can sell barrels. You know, uh, that's why you can get such great sherry for such a low price at this point. Ah, that's the reason. Okay. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I always look at those sherry bottles suspiciously. Like, right. Yeah. You know, it it's only like eleven dollars. Yeah. What is up with that? Yeah. So that's <laughs> it's kind of the funny thing, and and sherry is making a comeback, which is really yeah, exciting. Is. Um, I mean, it's it's a fantastic, you know, subcategory of wine. Yeah. Um, so we, with our sherry wood, what we've done is we've made a mixture of, or we've matured in a mixture of Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez sherry wine casks. Mm-hmm. Um, most of these casks are 80 years old, coming wow. from a region of Spain called Montilla. These casks have been a part of a, of a Solera system. If they're in good shape, we'll bring them over uh, as is and will mature in those casks. If they're not in good shape, we work with a family cooperage called Tornaleria del Sur in Montilla, and they will basically rebuild the casks for us, typically into a smaller format, uh, 250 liter format, um, as opposed to the more traditional 500 liter uh, butt. So okay. yeah, it's a very, you know, our approach to that is pretty traditional. One of the things that we do is we don't break down the casks into staves and then mm-hmm. have them shipped to save space and then reassembled here. Oh, okay. um, we ship them whole, which is of course really inefficient <laughs> because it's you know, you're shipping <laughs> empty space, but yeah. Um, but the vibrancy of sherry char- of that sherry character is is so much more intense, um, mm. and uh, it's a really cool effect that we get. Well, this is this is great, and I, I, the first thing I notice is the um, mouthfeel, the texture. It's it's chewy, it's weighty, it's got a great mouthfeel. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's um, it's part of the well, the philosophy of of non chill filtration. That's one of the great things that that sherry can do is is add that texture and weight and richness to a whiskey. And ideally, like what, what we try to do is not let the sherry be totally dominant in the whiskey. We, you know, our, our focus is on that malt flavor as a distillery. Like that's, that's our kind of big driving force. So for this to be a Westland sherry cask release, and we call this Westland sherry wood, it's a, you know, a balance of, of that sherry character, but also with our, our core house style of, of malt flavor. You know, that's, that's what we're shooting for there. Mm, I get cocoa powder big on this one. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool whiskey. The, the flavor profiles, I think in particular of those dark roasted malts and, and that Pedro Jimenez sherry in particular really, really work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, you know, it's been really well received. It was a uh, craft whiskey of the year at San Francisco world spirits competition this year. Oh wow. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's cool because, Stylistically, what we're doing is not, as I was saying earlier, it's not a direct copy of Scotland, and yet everybody's seeing it and getting really excited about what it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's such a fun time, you know. I, I was talking to um, somebody last week who makes uh, agave spirits in California. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> right, it's an exciting time to be a spectator for the American spirits industry. Right. And then, so lastly, we have the um, peated American single malt whiskey. So our peated whiskey. In the same way that we, we use our sherry wood to, to not only tell the story of, of sherry cast maturation, but also how the Westland house style fits into that. It's the same thing with, with peated. And we've got peated malt that we you know currently bring over from Scotland, although we are increasingly relying on or will be relying on Washington State peat. But that's mashed, distilled, and matured and put into casks at a very high phenol content. So that's a 55 part per million phenol content. So that's comparable to... Uh, with the big guys at Isla are doing, you know, Ardbeg, Lafroig, Bagabula, yeah. and that that big heavy peat smoke. But what we want to do with our peated whiskey is to get that effect of balance in there. So we'll mash, distill, and mature non-peated whiskeys, whether it's the really rich, malty, 
five malt recipe or whether it's just pale malt. And we take all of these things and after maturation, blend them together to achieve the flavor profile we want, um, which is a, a little bit of peat here, but you're also getting, for me, the first thing is uh, peanut butter, this kind of peanut nuttiness, this combination of the Belgian yeast phenolics with the peat phenolics is a really cool thing. So you can see how our house style and how peat interact with each other. And the effect is something that is, mm-hmm. that is very different from what they do in Isla, you know? Um, and that's, that's the intention. So yeah. This is smoky to be sure, but it might be a little more approachable to somebody who's not used to a super smoky scotch like a Lagavulin. Sure. I love super smoky whiskeys. You know, they're, yeah. they're great. And, and not only are they great, but especially on Isla, they, they carry a historical significance, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's the origin of, of whiskey from there. So that's, I love that. But we're not on Isla, <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're in Seattle. So I think ultimately we'll release, you know, some, some more heavily peated whiskeys, maybe a single casks in the future. But I think mm-hmm. in the long run to establish what's a, what's a more compelling whiskey. Well, it's one, I think that's, that's true to what we're trying to accomplish here, not just in the Pacific Northwest, but across the United States in general. And that's to mm-hmm. balance that peat with, you know, with other kind of malt based flavors. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, last night I had my brother-in-law was over and we were tasting some whiskeys, not these because I was – I didn't share these <laughs> very uh, greedily, <laughs> very selfishly I should say. But uh, we were tasting uh, another whiskey and, and uh, my brother-in-law who doesn't know much about uh, – whiskey other than what he's learned from me you know he says you know what i i taste bubble gum is that stupid to say that i said no in fact let me let me grab that uh this tasting wheel so i showed him your tasting wheel Mm -hmm. and and then we went through and we saw oh yeah there's bubble gum right there i said you know whatever you taste is fine but you know it's cool that you pull that out and that we can find it here on this on this wheel absolutely that's great (laughs) so i I can't wait for all my listeners to uh to see this wheel yeah happy to share it great awesome thank you so much well, I really appreciate your time. This is a great conversation, and uh, it was great to meet you. Yeah, you were you were very very welcome. I appreciate it. And uh, if I ever get out your way, I've never I've never been to Seattle. I'll get out there one of these days. Is, and come. Yeah, it's it's it was the best kept secret until recently, and now you know. Yeah. <laughs> Seattle is Seattle is the fastest growing major city in the country, um, and we've got a lot of very very cool things developing. Not just in terms of distilleries, which we have more than any other city in the country. You know, but in in wine and beer, in approach to food, you know, in, in agriculture and all these things that are developing really, really quickly, it's 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 a pretty exciting place to be right now. Um, yeah. It's a, and and you're right in the city, right? Yeah, we're we're just um, you know about a mile south of, of you consider like the downtown downtown Seattle. You know, still you know within walking distance of you know Pike Place Market and the famous spots like that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's so it's so cool to see the uh, distilleries popping up in in urban areas. You know, of course, we have that in New York City as well, and uh, I think it's a cool thing. You know, absolutely. Well, I I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you very much. Me too. Cheers. Right, cheers. Thank you. Well, there you go. We really geeked out on whiskey this week, but uh, you've got some great information there and tasted some great whiskey. If you can get your hands on some American-made single malt whiskeys, uh, the Westland especially, delicious, uh, do it. It's great stuff, and uh, I think it's a, it's a growing category that we're going to see more and more of. Stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. But first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber, and the, web, the website is bartenderjourney.net for all things Bartender Journey. And uh, 
you can get on over there and uh, see some Amazon links to the books that we talk about. And uh, by clicking through an Amazon link to get to Amazon, you'll be helping out the show a little bit. I'll also have that link to uh, for $10 off your first order for Shoes for Cruise. Get yourself some decent shoe wear to wear uh, behind the bar. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thank you for listening. Feel free to email me for any reason at all. I'd love to hear from you at bartenderjourney.net. Or wait a minute, <coughs> Brian at bartenderjourney.net. You can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. And you can search uh, Facebook, search for Bartender Journey and like that page. Like it. All right, here's our toast. May your home always be too small to hold all of your friends. Cheers. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. Bartender Journey.